I love airplanes. I love everything about airplanes. Uh, my earliest memories as a child was, had to do with airplanes. Uh, growing up, I, I built those plastic model airplanes, and they're, um, they're somewhere. I don't know where they are anymore. Hopefully my parents still have them. But I built those model airplanes, and then I got into radio-controlled airplanes. And uh, let me just say, I, I have successfully flown, crashed, and destroyed every single radio-controlled airplane I have ever owned. But I still love airplanes. Now, the interesting thing about airplanes is airplanes require quite a bit of maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> and praise God for that, right? <laughs> they, they do require quite a bit of maintenance. And your typical uh, airline, commercial airliner, uh, typically is going to take around every 100 hours or so, um, it is going to go into maintenance. And it could be at the, at the 99th hour, right? It, it could be perfectly flying, all systems go, uh, no issues, no apparent issues whatsoever. Yet at the 100th hour mark, uh, it has to get inspected. Why? Uh, because the stresses of flight can wear down the components of the airframe. Even if it's not apparent, even if it's not obvious, even if it's not visible, the stresses of flight can wear it down. It needs to be inspected and ultimately, it needs to be recertified as safe for flight. Now, aren't you glad when you board an airplane, it's certified safe for flight? Yeah. In the same way, you know, Paul is writing to the Philippians. And as we begin chapter 3 in a moment, we're going to see Paul says, I'm going to remind you. Ultimately, what is Paul doing in chapter 3? He's reminding the Philippian church. He's reminding the believers of the gospel. Now, why? Because just as the stresses of flight can wear down an aircraft, the stresses and the worry and the weariness of life can wear down our faith. We need to be both reminded of the gospel and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to inspect our faith to ensure that it is in line with the gospel. So today, as we cover Philippians chapter 3, uh, we're going to learn um, how the gospel inspects our faith. So turn with me, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write to you the same things Again, and it is a safeguard for you. Some of your translations would say it is a safeguard for your faith. And this takes us to our first and opening point this morning is this. Rejoice because of the gospel, we are in Christ. Because of the gospel, we are in Christ. Now, remember, what was Paul's circumstance when he wrote this letter to the Philippians? Where was he? Yeah, he was in prison. He was chained to a Roman soldier, uh, and he was imprisoned in Rome. And yet, while in that prison cell, what does he say? He says, rejoice in the Lord. Now, what, why would he say that? What would qualify him to make that assertion? Let's take a quick recap here of a little bit of what Paul has walked through. These are some things that Paul has shared with us so far in the book of Philippians. He opens up and he says, God is faithful. Philippians 1, 1 through 11, God is faithful 
throughout life's circumstances. But then he gets into some real life things. He says, but life can be difficult. And there's difficulties that we face. And then he gets into hurts. And he says, there's people that are going to hurt us. And they're going to be deep hurts. And then he brings some encouragement. And he says, but, be, but know this, that there's also people praying for you. And you know today that there are people praying for you? And then he gets into, and he says, there's going to be opposition in life. People will come against you. People will come against the church. People will come against, we'll read later on, ultimately they're coming against Jesus. But then he finishes chapter 2 by reminding us that despite all of that, Jesus is still at work, which then leads him to say, rejoice. So I don't know this morning where you find yourself, difficulties, hurts, opposition, but rejoice today because God is faithful. People are praying for you, and Jesus is still at work. Now, yeah, amen. Now, Paul says we can rejoice, how? In the Lord. And if you don't mind writing in your Bibles or if you're taking notes, that word in is, is very important. It's a preposition. And what it denotes is it tells us our, our relationship, our unity, or our union with Jesus. We could say today rejoice because you are in relationship with Jesus. Now, I want you to picture yourself in an airplane. And uh, hopefully you're not imagining yourself having the middle seat in basic economy, right? <laughs> hopefully your imagination is a little bit more free than that. Um, but nonetheless, imagine yourself on an airplane. And, and here we are, we're in this plane together, and we're cruising along at 38,000 feet, all right? What happens to the airplane happens to who? Happens to us. Why? Because we are in the airplane. If the aircraft ascends, what do we do? We ascend. If the aircraft descends, what do we do? We descend. If it goes right, if it turns left, likewise. If the aircraft experiences rough air, what do we experience? Rough air. We experience prayer. Someone said, yeah, amen. Yeah, but it gets turbulence. We experience turbulence. Why? Because what happens to the aircraft happens to the passengers because the passengers are where? In the aircraft. Likewise, we who are in Christ. What happens to Christ happens to the believer. Now, where is Jesus today? He is ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And we have the hope of eternity knowing that what has happened to him for in heaven, we will join him there. Rejoice in the Lord. And Paul opens with that because that is a reminder to the Philippians and it is a reminder to you and I. We need to be reminded of the gospel. Now, Paul would continue on in Romans chapter 10, and he, he says this. Faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news or hearing the gospel about Christ. Faith is simply our response to Jesus' finished work. Hearing the gospel has everything to do with strengthening our faith, strengthening that bond of union with Jesus. When we hear the gospel, it's reason for joy. 
Why? Because the gospel reminds us of both our greatest need and offers us the only solution. Now, Paul in, in Corinthians, he, 1 Corinthians 15, he explains the gospel in probably its most simplest form in all of Scripture. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to what? Remind you. So Paul had to remind the Corinthians of the gospel. He is reminding the Philippians of the gospel. If you were with us when we studied Galatians, he reminded the Galatians of the gospel. Do we need to be reminded? We need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. I want to remind you of the gospel. By this gospel, you are what? You are saved. By this gospel, you are saved, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, Paul needed to remind the Christians at Philippi of the gospel because just like an aircraft, the weariness, the flight, stresses of flight wear it down, for us, the weariness of life can wear us down. It can wear our faith down. It was true for the Philippians. It is true for us today. And should the Lord tarry, it will be true for those 2,000 years from now. Hopefully Jesus comes back by then. Now, weariness. We can become weary, can't we? Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm just tired. And, and maybe some of you are just tired. You're weary. You know, when we are weary... That is when we are most susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. Remember Jesus, after he was baptized in the Jordan, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. And there he was in the wilderness for 40 days and he fasted. When did Satan come to tempt him? At the beginning or at the end? He came at the end. Why? Because he is most weary. He is most tired. Peter would tell us later on that uh, the enemy, Satan, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan is looking for the weary. He is looking. The gospel strengthens our weariness. The gospel inspects our faith that we would be found strong in Jesus. What does Jesus say? He, he, he says, come to me, all of you who are what? Weary. And I will give you rest. When we're reminded of the gospel, we're reminded of Jesus' invitation for you and I to rest. Now, what happens is, is when we are weary, and we resist the rest that Jesus offers through the gospel, we, something tragic can happen. It happened to some of the Galatians. Paul called them out on it. Look with me up on the screen. I am astonished, Galatians 1.6, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Jesus of Christ and are what? Turning to a different gospel, which is really, really no gospel at all. When we become weary, Satan then subtly and craftily, to, almost indiscernibly, 
gets us to the point somehow where we believe that Jesus' finished work is not good enough. And we then begin to add to what Jesus has done. We start having a faith that says, I have to do more to earn God's favor. And we begin thinking, I must be so tired because I did this and God is mad at me. So then we try and do things to correct that. And and the Galatians were doing that. And Paul says that is no gospel at all. You're turning from the real gospel. And that word turning, it simply means to put separation between. It simply means to put separation. It would be like if we're here today, right, we're face to face. Uh, If I were to just turn and I would finish out this teaching like this, how would that make you feel? Rather impersonal. You're like, wow, that guy's really mean. But that's what we do to God when we try and improve upon what he's already done. We're turning to a different gospel. You know, life is going to have those difficulties, right? Paul expressed that, and he said life's going to have difficulties, there's going to be hurts, and there's going to be opposition. We're all going to experience those things. And those are the things that wear us down. And when we are wear down, Satan's going to come and he's going to say, Christian, I thought everything was supposed to be good with Jesus. See, life is still hard. Jump. Now, when you're in a plane and you hit that rough air, you hit that turbulence, what illuminates above you? Fasten seatbelt sign. You know what doesn't illuminate? The jump sign. <laughs> right? Hopefully there isn't a jump sign, right? If there's a jump sign on a plane, it's like, well, it's coming home, Lord. <laughs> but no, it says fasten your seatbelt. When it gets bumpy, fasten your seatbelt. When life gets bumpy, don't jump. Because Satan is going to say it's better out there than it is in here. And that is a lie from the enemy. Now, here's what the gospel does. When life gets turbulent, when there's rough air, when there's difficulty, hurts, and opposition, fasten your seatbelt. Because fastening our seatbelt, what is that saying? That's saying I'm not in control of this. That's saying I'm going to take my seat and I'm going to trust the pilots. They're in control. So when you're experiencing these things in life and Satan says, jump, don't do it. Press into Jesus in all the more. He is in control. He who began a good work in you, what is he going to do? He's going to see you to completion. So check your faith up against the gospel. Let's read in verse 2. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, he's going to read all of his credentials. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Guys, the gospel doesn't need our help. 
And that's our second point today. The gospel does not need your help, and it doesn't need my help. And, and we're going to call this a Jesus plus or Jesus minus gospel. You may have heard that said before. But Paul says, he gives a warning to the church at Philippi. He says, watch out, because there are some people in the church who he calls them dogs, evildoers, and mutilator, mutilators of the flesh. And he basically says that there are some people who are going to say that salvation also comes by the things we do. It is a Jesus plus. Jesus did all of this, and we also have to do all of that in order to earn salvation. That is a common belief um, still today. But Paul then, he says, he makes this very humbling statement. He says, but we put no confidence in the flesh. What is he saying? He's saying, I, I realize now in light of the true gospel, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I need help. He says, I no longer trust the things I've done to save me. I no longer trust who I am to save me. Remember, he, he, he mentions, I used to believe my upbringing, my nationality, my family background, my religion, all the good works I have done and all of my good behavior. He says, I used to believe that these things were good enough to get me to heaven. But now he says, I put no confidence in that. Some of us today are perhaps believing still a Jesus plus gospel. If I believe in Jesus and I also do these things, then I will be saved. There's two problems with that thought. First, what more can you do? When Jesus said, it is finished, Jesus meant, it is finished. We can't improve upon what Jesus has already perfected and completed. Second, 1 John 3, 5, Jesus, and, and the Apostle John says, and you know that Jesus came to take away our sins. So what else can we do? Nothing. Jesus did it all. He did the work to get to you and I. He alone paid the price for our sins. He alone can forgive us. There's nothing more that we can do to earn salvation. Now, remember the airplane. Most people, I'm going to make a broad statement here, and I'm going to hope that we're all pretty stable in here. Most people... When they board an airplane, they don't get to the, the boarding gate and say, ooh, let me review the last inspection report. They don't say, let me have a, let me have a few minutes with the maintenance chief. They don't ask the pilot, hey, let me know when you're going to do your pre-flight check. I want to be there. No, what, what, what does a normal person do? They just board the plane. And they hope there's enough overhead luggage space still available. <laughs> now, when they do that, what are they doing? They have faith that the maintenance crew finished the work and that the plane is certified safe for flight. So it is with us in Christ. When we put our faith in Christ, we're trusting that it's finished, that we don't have to double-check Jesus' work, that the work is done. The second is a... Uh, a Jesus minus gospel, we would say. In that portion of text we read, um, Paul says, we who serve God. So what was, what was Paul doing as a Christian? He was what? He was 
serving God. He was active in his faith. He was living it out. Now, there are some uh, out there who would say they would believe perhaps this, what we call the Jesus minus gospel. Well, because Jesus did it all, I then don't have to do anything. And I can just sit back and cruise through life until he return or take me home. And they'll take it even a step further and they'll say, well, because God is sovereign and in control of everything, I can do whatever I want. I can live whatever way I want. And in the end, God will work it out. Well, that is also incor incorrect doctrine. Because Paul, he would say, we who what? Serve God. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Dave talk about, he had a, a, a message entitled, Grace in Works Out. Right? We are saved not because of our good works, but we are saved, what, to do good works. Here's the thing. The pilot does not need your help flying the airplane, but you still have to take your seat. The gospel does not need our help, but we still have to live it out. So, James says in James 2.17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. Dead. We're to live out our faith. We who serve God. Now, read with me in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Our third point this morning is this. The gospel is Jesus only. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It is a Jesus only gospel. Paul says, whatever were my gains. And remember, he listed earlier all of his gains in life, all those things he considered gains and, and then some. Now, what would culture say to us today? How, does, how would culture define success? Culture would define success as the more you have and the less you lose, the more successful you are. Would you agree? The more we have and the less we lose, the more successful we are. Gains. Paul says those gains I consider a loss. Growing up, I played soccer. Any soccer fans in here? Yeah, all right. Yeah, I played soccer uh, from like swarm ball at age three or four uh, all the way up through high school. And when I graduated high school, I guess I graduated from athletics as well. But uh, I played soccer um, my whole you know, youth life, and I was on many teams. And over the years and over the teams and the competitions, um, I, I accumulated a lot of trophies, a lot. And when I lived at home with my parents, I had all those trophies just displayed. And I made sure uh, that people knew 
I had a lot of trophies, like I'm doing right now to you. <laughs> and I loved soccer, and I, I loved the trophies and everything, and I thought those things were really important. Really important. And then I got married. And my, I guess in that period, right, where it's like you're engaged, you're almost married, but you're, you're at that point now where you're talking about what the house is going to look like. I, the, the trophies were not a part of my wife's vision. <laughs> Along with pretty much everything else. <laughs> but um, no greater love. All right. I, I say that to say this. Those things that I thought were important when held in comparison with now the relationship I'm having had with my wife, have with my wife, they didn't matter anymore. So when I moved out, those trophies stayed. And I don't even think they're, I, I think my parents threw them away. Um, they would have asked me, and I think I said, I'd have no use for these anymore. So, so they're gone now. Many of us have trophies. We have things that we have pursued in life, things that we think are so valuable and so important. And it's not that they aren't. It's just make sure you're holding them with a gospel perspective. That everything you have, you hold in light of and in view of our relationship with Jesus, who Paul says is all-surpassing worth. There are four trophies that every single one of us are susceptible to pursuing. There are four trophies that the world is going to put in front of you. He's going to put them in front of me. Those trophies are more power, more money, more pleasure, and more honor. More money, more power, more pleasure, more honor. And it is part of our human nature, it's part of our fallen condition, that we would pursue those trophies. And they may look, they come in many different shapes and forms. It may come from position at work. It may come from something sitting in your garage or on that nice paved space on the side of your house, whatever it might be. Hear me on this. Those things are not bad. Hold them with a gospel perspective there is an all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Paul says the trophies, the gains that I pursued, are now like garbage to me. The reality is, is that one day somebody else is going to live in your house, somebody else is going to drive your car, and somebody else is going to have your job. Hold it with a gospel perspective. The missionary Jim Elliott puts it like this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep that he may gain what he cannot lose. Now, Paul says, all those trophies I worked for in life, I consider them garbage. But the original language, if we go back to the Greek, that Greek word for garbage is skubalon. Say that with me. Skubalon. That's a fun word, isn't it? Say that one more time. 
scubalon, scubalon. Some of you are going to use that word this week, scubalon. It means animal excrement. That's, literal, that's the literal translation of that word. So Paul says, all of those trophies in life, when held in relationship in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is about as valuable as animal excrement. Have a gospel perspective. All right. Now, every aircraft, or I'm sorry, a little ahead there. Verse 9 is central. Verse 9 is central to chapter 3. It's central to the book of Philippians. And Paul says, to be found, where? In him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. To be found in him. You know, every aircraft, when that boarding gate closes, something called the passenger manifest is printed. And that passenger manifest is a list of every person that is on that plane. And that door is closed. There's no more people getting on. There's no more people getting off. That flight is that flight. And those who are on it are on it. The passenger manifest is printed. Therefore, if someone is to ask, where is so-and-so, the airline can point and say, so-and-so is up there in that plane. Nobody looked. 9 a.m. service looked. I was like, gotcha. (laughs) But they're up there in that plane. Now, let's pretend. If we were to look... And we were to say so-and-so was on that plane, and we looked up and we saw, what would we see up there? Would we see so-and-so? No, what would we see? We'd see the plane. But we would believe that so-and-so is on the plane because their name is on the what? Passenger manifest. So it is with us in Christ. Jesus says there's really kind of a passenger manifest, so to speak, in heaven. And he says to his disciples in Luke, he says, rejoice because your names are written where? In heaven. Your names are written in heaven. And then he goes on to say, when a person places their faith in Jesus, God then imputes righteousness or gives right standing to that person through faith. No one is inherently righteous, but when a person comes to faith, puts their faith in Christ, God then gives the righteousness of his son to that person person so that when God looks at you and I, he does not necessarily see fallen David Palmisano. Rather, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. In the same way, we would look at a plane and we say, so-and-so is on that plane, but I don't see them. I see the airplane. So too, God sees Christ in you. Paul says this, he goes in Ephesians, you remember it from uh, recently, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There's nothing we can do to add to what God has already done in Christ. Salvation is found in no one else than in Christ. And he even gives us the faith to believe. You know, Peter had to learn that. You know the story. One night, Peter and the disciples, they were out on the boat in the Sea of Galilee. And in this particular instance, Jesus was not yet with them. And while they were in the sea, what happened? A terrible storm arose. All right, And and these seasoned sailors became terrified. They became scared. And all of a sudden, they see a figure walking out on the water towards them. And they realize that must be Jesus because who else is going to walk on water? And then Peter says, Lord, if that's really you, call me out upon the waters and I will come walking to you. So what does Jesus do? He calls them. 
And Peter takes that incredible step of faith and he steps out over the side of the boat and he begins walking on water and he has his eyes locked on Jesus' eyes. And so long as he is looking at his Savior, what is Peter doing? He's walking on the water. But you know what happens? The moment, Scripture tells us, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and begins looking at his circumstance, what happens to him? He sinks. And what does Peter do? He yells out, save me, Lord. You know, Peter did not, he realized that there's no confidence in the flesh. He didn't even put faith in his own ability to swim, which interestingly, John chapter 21 tells us Peter was a pretty good swimmer. But he says, Lord, save me. And what does Jesus do? Does he have this debate with him? Well, Peter, you know, if only you were wearing a life jacket... You should, you should have known or you should have done this. No, he just reaches down and what? Saves him. That's what God does. That's what he does to you and I today. Acts chapter 4, 12. Look with me up on the screen. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Read with me what happens next. 12, verses 12 and 14. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, one thing I do, Paul says, I forget what is behind and I strain towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Our Next point is this, the gospel helps us look ahead. The gospel helps us look ahead. Paul says, all these things that I've, I haven't obtained it yet. I'm not perfect yet. I haven't arrived yet. I still, I, mean, I still have flaws. I still get in a bad mood. I still wake up on the wrong side of the bed. But there's one thing I do. I forget what is behind and I press on towards that what is ahead. What's Paul saying? I want more Jesus. I want more and more Jesus in and through my life. Church, do you want more Jesus? You want more Jesus. And Paul says, here's what I do. I press on. And that verb there, press on, it means to run swiftly with intentionality. To run swiftly with intentionality. It's not a casual stroll in the park. It's not like, well, man, I hope I just get to know more Jesus today. No, it's an intentional. I want Jesus. I want him in every area of my life. I want to be fully surrendered to him, to run swiftly with intentionality. How many of you have ever been at a connecting airport and your arrival was late and your departure is early? And you know what I'm talking about. You have got luggage in hand, kids in tow, and you're in like South Terminal domestic and you need to get to North Terminal International and you've got 30 minutes on the clock. You know what I'm talking about? That is running swiftly with intentionality. I don't have time for the gift shop. I don't have time to eat. I don't have time for the duty-free store. We got to board that plane. That should become an Olympic event <laughs> running through an airport. But that is the type of intentionality that Paul is expressing. That is the manner in which we are to pursue our relationship with Jesus. Take it seriously, not casually. One thing I do, 
I forget the past, and I go forward. Now, the gospel does not give us amnesia of the past. Rather, the gospel repurposes our past. Read, read with me up on the screen here. Acts chapter 22. Paul had a rough past. He says, I worked hard, and I killed men and women who believe as I do today. He's speaking about Christians. I put them in chains and sent them to prison. This would maybe be a summary statement of Paul's past. But let's get into a little bit more detail. Acts chapter 14. And I want to bring attention to, as we go through these, the chapters and the verses. Because we're going to go somewhere with this. God's going to take this somewhere. Acts 14, 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Paul had a terrible, no good, very bad day. Paul has a rough past. Okay, Acts 14. Let's go next. Acts 15, 39. Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement, they parted company. Paul had severe relationship hurts. You know, relationship hurts are going to wound you and I as Christ followers more than anything else. But God can redeem that. What happens next? Acts chapter 16, verses 22 and 23. And we'll hold the slide here. Paul's now in Philippi. Paul was stripped and beaten, severely flogged, and thrown into the Philippian prison. So we have Acts 14, Acts 15, Acts 16, 22 and 23. What happens next? The church of Philippi is planted. Acts chapter 16, verse 40. Paul had a rough past. And we could say there at the, at the previous verse, man, he's in prison, he's buddied, he's beaten, he's abandoned. And we could say, man, Paul, maybe you should just, you know, call a spade a spade here and, and maybe just stick to tent making. Just stick to what you know because this really isn't working out. It's at that point where we're most vulnerable to throwing in the towel. It's at that point where we're most vulnerable, that turbulence of life, we're just going to jump. But hang in there, Christian. I know life is hard. I know you're weary. I know there are hurts, there's difficulties, and there's opposition. But hang in there. Because the church of Philippi was planted through pain, peril, and persecution. And right there at that moment, God did an incredible work. And the same God who did something beautiful from Paul's past in preparing him to plant the church at Philippi is the same God who's going to do something incredible and beautiful with your past to greater his purposes on this earth today. And the gospel will go forward. So don't jump. Don't give up. Keep going. Read with me at verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Verse 17. Join together. Join together in following my example Brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Friend, we're getting a free upgrade from basic economy to first class. It's coming. Hang in there. But our last point this morning is simply this. The gospel connects us to God and to one another. Paul says, follow my example. Be connected. Why? Because together, what are we doing? Together, we're learning how to follow Jesus. We're encouraging one another that through the difficulties of life, the hurt, the opposition from people and from the enemy, God remains faithful, people are praying for you, and Jesus is still at work. And what does Satan always want to do? He always wants to work inside the church to break up the church. Be alert. Be aware. Be strengthened in your faith. When you're weary, rest in Jesus. Continually allow the gospel to daily have a cleansing, strengthening work on your soul. We're in this together. Romans chapter 12, verse 4, Paul says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We're all connected. And we have, because of that, we have joy in Jesus. Remember the airplane? What happens to the airplane happens to the passengers because the passengers are what? In the airplane. Rejoice because together we are in Christ. We're traveling through life's journey together in Christ. Paul says what? Our citizenship is where? In heaven. This is my passport. No matter where I'm at in the world, this will get me home. Because my citizenship is here. The gospel is like our passport to heaven. Jesus signed it. No matter what you're going through in life, no matter the turbulence, the rough air, the grouchy person next to you in the flight, the imaginary flight, keep your eyes on the destination. We travel not for the journey. We travel for the destination. We're just passing through life. We're passing through life how? Together in Christ all headed where? To heaven. We need one another. The gospel connects us to God and to each other. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And we'll end with this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who what? Believes. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this morning. And God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, uh, we are encouraged today. Lord, I am encouraged today because your word says that if, if our faith is in you, then we are in Christ. And that is reason for rejoicing regardless of our circumstances. May we remember, Lord, that you are in control of all things. So, Lord, with every head bowed and every eye closed, may your Holy Spirit search our hearts and search our, our lives to see if we would be found in you. Jesus, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. With eyes closed and head bound, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never received the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, just raise your hand saying, today, I'm giving my life to Jesus. My faith will be in him and him alone. Balcony. Second, I want to ask you this. Are you weary? Are you thinking of jumping? Do you need rest for your soul? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Father, for we who raised our hands, we pray for your peace. Help us, Lord, to just let go, to surrender all of our efforts to your will. You're in control. So strengthen our faith, encourage our hearts, help us to take our seat and let your will be done. We love you, Lord. Our faith is in you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close together?
God is good. Amen. Guys, we love you. Church, thank you so much for just worshiping today with us. If you're new or want to get connected or guys, sign up for men's retreat. If you want to do that, hint, hint. Um, head out to the uh, comments to the Connect Circle. Um, we want to meet you. We want to help you get connected to the church here. Uh, second, if, if you raised your hand, whether if it were for salvation if it were for, maybe you realize that at some point in your life, maybe you have turned. Or maybe you're just weary. Come on up front. We've got prayer partners here. We want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. And last but not least, we thank you for your generous um, giving, your tithes and offerings. And what you're doing is you're partnering with what God is doing here and to the ends of the earth. The world needs more Jesus. And we want to help send people. We want to help the gospel go forward. And that happens in part by your generosity. So we thank you. We love you. Stay dry out there. And we'll see you next weekend.